you will, please take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Psalm, chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some underneath the benches that you're sitting on, or right there in front of you. Um, one of those black Bibles, those few Bibles are on page 458. <clears throat> I, uh, I am excited about today's passage. I'm always excited to preach, love doing it. But every now and again, you're assigned a passage, and you're like, yes, that's a good one. I love it. Uh, Psalm 23, how, how, do you, how do you get a better text than that? And I think all of us have this, this emotional tie to this passage. And I think largely because, man, we've heard it for so long, and for so long it's brought comfort to us. Uh, I remember back when I was in high school, there was a, a, a guy that man, went through junior high and high school with him. His name was Kevin. I don't believe he was a believer, um, but I remember talking with him one time about faith and about our God, and he just began to talk about this passage. He's like, yeah, I know Psalm 23. Uh, it turns out that Kevin's mom had died uh, whenever he was in elementary school, and they read that psalm uh, at her funeral, and he just started going over it time and time again, and, and what got this kid through the, the death of his mother was, was the beauty, beauty of this psalm. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to read this psalm, and, uh, and then we're, we're going to just dive into it and see what we can learn about our good shepherd. Psalm chapter 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and thy staff that comforts me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, why do we love that text so much? I think this is why, after thinking about it, <clears throat> I think why we love it so much is it just, it just paints this picture of ultimate peace for us. This picture of ultimate rest and safety where we, get to, where we just get to relax in the presence of our shepherd. The problem is we live in a world today, in a society today, in a culture today that does not love the Good Shepherd. In fact, our culture today fights against and pushes back against our God, against our Good Shepherd. They do not trust God to provide for them. They do not trust God to protect them. They do not trust God to be their God. And so they don't get to rest in the beauty of this psalm. Paul Miller in his book, The Praying Life, which you've heard about throughout this year, uh, has a chapter on, on cynicism and how we can be cynical people. And he said, what happens when you take out the good shepherd? And what happens when you take out what the good shepherd does is you're just left with an empty desperation. So let's take a look at what that would look like. So here we have Psalm 23. And then if we, if we kind of just let the good shepherd fade away into the background, if we take the good shepherd and what the good shepherd does and let it fade into the background. This is what happens when we live a life without trusting God. I shall want. 
I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear evil. Me, me in the presence of my enemies, my head, my cup, all the days of my life. You hear the, the loneliness in that? You hear the sadness of a life without trust in the Good Shepherd. I'm in want. I fear. It's just me, my head, my cup. I'm alone all the days of my life. This is what happens whenever we as human beings resist our Creator, resist the Good Shepherd. We shake our fists at Him and say, No, I don't want to live with you. I do not want to be your sheep. I do not want to be your child. So what we want to do this morning as we look at the book of Psalm chapter 23 is we want to look and see what this text says about our good shepherd. How does it lead us to trust in our God? And there's three things here. We're going to look about how our our shepherd provides for his sheep, how our shepherd protects his sheep, and how our shepherd actually even goes the next step beyond what any other shepherd would do, and the shepherd adopts his sheep as his own. So the shepherd who provides, protects, and adopts. Let's look at the shepherd who provides for his sheep. In the book of Psalm, chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his Name's sake. Right off the bat, this text tells us who the good shepherd is. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. If you're using the ESV Bible or, or one of our pew Bibles, you'll see that that Lord is in all caps. Whenever you see the ESV do that, what that basically is saying is it's telling us what Hebrew word is being used here. Uh, there are many different words that can be translated as Lord, words like Adonai, Elohim, uh, but, but the main word used for Lord that talks about our God is in word Yahweh. So whenever you see Lord in all caps, that's what it's talking about. God, our Lord, Yahweh, he is our shepherd. And so whenever David wrote this hymn, when he wrote this psalm, I can just imagine him picturing his country's history, the history of the Israelites, how God was truly their shepherd. If you remember, Israel was in Egypt as slaves, and God sent a shepherd, Moses, to go rescue them, to bring them out of Egypt. And this psalm paints a picture of God as a shepherd leading his sheep through the wilderness, through the desert, to green pastures of the promised land, to the quiet, still waters of the Jordan River. And so that, that's a picture that David is drawing on to, to enrich and alive in his text. And we even can see that where, where it wasn't, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I, I grew up with sheep. My, my dad raised sheep as kind of like, as a hobby farm. It wasn't like our livelihood. But it was, it was pretty common to have 30 or 40 sheep on our land. And one of the things he was ta- we were talking about this psalm this week, he said, Stephen, you, you, can't, you can't herd. You, well, you can't, you can't push sheep. You can't, you can't shoe them and get them to where you need to go. That if you want to get a sheep uh, to where you want it to go, you actually have to call it there. And so my dad, he had this way of calling the sheep up. I'm, I'm not going to do it for you. Uh, <laughs> not a chance. 
uh, because, because it would be quite embarrassing. But anyway, but he would call the sheep up to, to be fed, to be watered, uh, to be sheared, to, be, uh, to give them their, their medicine for the parasites that they so easily got. Whenever he, their shepherd, their owner, would call the sheep, man, if they were in the far back pasture, man, those sheep would start running to his voice. Um, someone else could make that same call, but if it wasn't his voice, they wouldn't come. It was the most amazing thing. And we see God leading the people of Israel to the promised land. He didn't get behind them with a whip and try to drive them to the promised land. How did he do it? The pillar of fire, the, the, the cloud going before the people of Israel. The shepherd was leading the people to their pasture land. And so David is drawing on this image of a shepherd leading and guiding his, his sheep. And one of the things that's, that it kind of tells us here is that a good shepherd is going to provide for his sheep. Remember Israel out in the wilderness. They, they didn't have enough food. They were hungry. They complained and grumbled against God. And what did the shepherd do? They wake up one morning. They walk outside the tents. And, and, and there's manna all over the ground. Food for them to eat. Sure, it wasn't gluten-free. But I just imagine it tasting like those good crescent rolls or croissant rolls that you get a little bit good stuff. Yep. And they were eating that. They grumble and complain again. And what does God do? God sends them quail. They were thirsty, thinking that they were going to, 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 to die of thirst. And what does God do? He brings up water out of the ground. The good shepherd providing for his sheep. And here David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. What does it mean that I shall not be in want? Uh, that brings great peace, great comfort. This is, this is what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that God gives us every whim and every desire of our heart. Amen. God is not a cosmic Santa Claus right. waiting for us to send a, a Christmas list up in the form of a prayer. Our God is not a vending machine waiting for us to just drop in our prayers so we can choose what we want. Our God does not just give us every desire of our heart, and I can thank God that he does not do that. Because half the things I've asked for in my life would have just taken me into trouble and away from him. But what this text can also mean, not mean, it cannot mean that when it says, I shall not want, and this is where I might get some pushback from you, it also cannot mean that God gives us the necessities of life. Bear with me on this and think about this. What do we as, as human beings need? Well, we, we need food. We need water. We need oxygen. We need safety. All to thrive. We need shelter. When we think about the Christians who are living throughout this world today, not all of them have that. So does that mean that God is not a good shepherd because they don't have the necessities of life? I don't know if you know this or not, but November is a special month for the church. It's a, it's a month of the year that we focus on the persecuted church. And we think about how the, the worldwide church is suffering today. Not all of those people have the necessities of life. They are in prisons, uh, hungering. Uh, in Egypt, their houses and businesses are quite literally being burnt to the ground. In and, 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 and Pakistan, they just had an explosion where, where over 50 believers lost their lives. The very necessity of what they need in their life, air to breathe and a heart to beat, was taken away from them. 
Does that mean that they were in want? Does that mean that God was not a good shepherd to them? Not at all. I think whenever the passage says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, you know what that means? It means that the sheep are satisfied. It's not a whim or a desire. It's not the necessities of life. It is a satisfaction that we have. Whenever our Lord Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, he went 40 days without food and Satan approached him and said, you're the son of God. You're hungry. You don't have to have God to provide food for you. You can take these stones and you can turn them into bread and eat them if you want to. And Jesus' response was, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. What it means that the sheep of God, the people of God, shall not want, it means that our ultimate satisfaction is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that as long as we have Jesus, it doesn't matter what we don't have. Because He satisfies us. There's a book called A Shepherd's Guide to uh, Psalm 23 written by Philip Keller. He was a shepherd in East Africa uh, back in the 60s and 70s. And he, he writes about his experiencing and shepherding a, a flock of sheep. And he said, you know what? Sheep uh, will not lay down if they are not satisfied. As long as sheep are hungry, as long as sheep are thirsty, as long as sheep have, have gnats buzzing around them or flies or ticks or have parasites, man, they are just an unsatisfied, wandering herd and they will not lay down and rest. He said a satisfied sheep, whenever you see a satisfied sheep, it's a sheep that has its needs taken care of, it's provided for, and that sheep will lay down. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves to find out whether or not we're satisfied in Christ is are we resting in Christ? Do we rest in Jesus? First of all, physically. Do we physically rest? You know, the whole concept, the whole idea of the Sabbath in the Bible is that we work for six days uh, providing food. But on that seventh day, when there is plenty of work to be done, we stop working and we rest in God. And it's a way of saying, God, we are recognizing that you are our ultimate provider. I might work six days to put food on the table, but it's actually you who are doing that. That's a whole concept of the Sabbath. It's a whole concept of resting in Him. And some of us cannot rest. Man, we get home from working 14 or 15 hours a day, and we think, man, there's still work to be done. That, man, I'm going to get chewed out if it's not done, or they're going to look down on me if it's not done. And what we do is we bring it home to our families, and we just keep on going, and we refuse to rest. The weekend gets here, there's no time to rest because I've got to provide for myself. It's not a resting in Christ. Another way that we do not rest in Christ is that we're not finding our identity, and we're not finding our value, and we're not finding our worth in Him. And that's why we're unrestful. What we do is we say, all right, my, my identity is, is man, I, I am one who likes security. And so I'm going to, to hoard up my wealth and my possessions and I'm going to keep them close to me and I'm going to protect me and I'm going to rest in, in what I have and we fight for it. Or we might say, you know what? I need worth as a person and, and I find worth whenever I'm in a relationship. 
So I'm going to move from girlfriend to girlfriend or boyfriend to boyfriend. And I'm going to look to that other person to give me value and to give me worth so that I can be at rest. The thing is, whenever, whenever we're looking for rest in our identity or our value in other people, man, we're going to be like those sheep that just have parasites and flies and are hungry and thirsty. And we're not going to be able to, to rest. Because there's that fear that will be taken away. Oftentimes, as a result, what we do is we actually push it away because there's such a fear of losing what makes us happy. We end up pushing it away because we're holding it too close. Christ is saying, come and rest in me. I will give you your identity. I will give you your worth. I will give you your value. You are valuable because you are mine. And whenever we are resting and find our value in Him, man, we can, we can lie down and we can rest in Him. It says that whenever we are resting, in Psalm chapter 23, we look at verse 3, whenever we are resting in Him, what happens? And He restores our soul. So we can actually have joy in this life. Not only that, not only does He restore our soul, but He guides us in paths of righteousness. You know that, that, that word, path of righteousness in the Hebrew? You know what it can also mean? It can also mean the right path. Think about that. If you're resting in Christ, if your value is in Him, if your worth is in Him, if your identity is in Him, and everything you do in your life is for His namesake, you don't have to choose the course of your life. He leads the course of your life. You don't have to wonder, man, what university should I go to? What, what, what person should I marry? What what, what promotion should I take? What station should I ask for? Man, you don't have to worry about those things. Because if your ultimate goal in life is to be satisfied in your Savior, to be satisfied and rest in Christ, then you're going to be pursuing His namesake. And what that means is you're always looking for the route where Jesus is and wherever you can glorify Him the most. So that's what you're going to pursue. But what we try and do is, man, we, we try to leave the Savior behind. We try to leave the shepherd behind and we try to mark out the course for our own life. And we're left with anxiety, we're left with worry. We're not at rest. Our good shepherd, our God, our Christ, and he is our rest. He is our provider. Not only that, but our God is also our protector. We look at the book of Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think oftentimes as Christians, we get this idea that as long as we're obeying God, it's like we have a deal with God. All right, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. And if I'm doing those things, then I expect you to keep this other end of the deal where I'm happy and I get what I want and my life goes my way. And that's kind of this, this, this unwritten rule, this deal we have with God. But I want you to look at this. In verse 3, he said, he leads me on the right path. So when we are following our Savior, we are on the right path. Look where that right path sometimes leads us. I'm on the right path following my Savior and then we have verse 4. Where am I? I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to realize, Christian, that 
that just because your life might be dark right now, just because you're struggling in your life right now, just because you're thinking, man, where, where am I going to pay my bills from? And you're just going through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to realize, as long as you're following Christ, that's the right path. And that's a hard truth to, to be in, to believe. But how does God make you who he wants you to be? Man, it's through those valleys. I used to think that uh, I used to have that unwritten rule with God. I'm following you, God. I'm serving you, God. I expect good things in my life because of it. Um, but then, then I, was, I was called to a church where I was lied to, where I was betrayed, where, goodness, it was, it was horrible. We, we, we left that church after we shut the doors to it. We, we left there, and, and we were left with bills that were too big to pay. And I'm thinking, all right, man, I've got my degree. i got my master's. I should just be able to walk somewhere else and just get another job to provide for me. And I, I end up working a, basically a, a little over minimum wage job serving drinks and muffins. Uh, and I'm thinking, God, that's not the plan. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to work out. And then life continued, and I, I, had to, I had to question my calling of, of what I was doing and where I was leading my family. And then, man, I, I tried to support my family by being a substitute teacher, which it's hard enough as a teacher, but being a substitute teacher is even more difficult. And then I was a teacher at a private Christian school, and, and so that was difficult. Like, God, what, what's going on here? God had me going through the, that valley, the shadow of death. But here's the neat thing. Even though God had me there, I didn't have to fear. Even through the loss of the son, I didn't have to fear because he is with me. His rod, his staff, they were able to comfort me as I went through those hard times. So if you are going through hard times right now, put your trust in the good shepherd. Believe in him, knowing that that he has you there for a reason and he will bring you through safely to his kingdom. We go back and look at David's picture of the Israelites going through the wilderness from Egypt slavery to the promised land and they get to the edge of their green pastures and their still waters. They send in 12 spies and what do they do? They come back and 10 of those spies said, we've been brought here to die. We can't defeat these people. We just need to turn around and go back to Egypt. You know when we fear in the valley of the shadow of death? We fear because we believe our enemies are greater than our God. We fear because the darkness is so dark from those shadows that we can't See the light of his love, the light of his word. If we're fearing that's where we are. And this psalm is calling us to trust in him. Because what happened? Man, God was, God was with the Israelites. And he had his rod and his staff, his weapons to protect and provide for his sheep. The, the, the rod was an interesting uh, tool for a shepherd. The staff was much longer. It's kind of what you think of, of, a, of a shepherd's crook. But the rod was a, was a short stick that they could carry on their belts. And it was kind of hewn out of a hardwood tree, taken off at the root where it was much wider. And they would, they would, they would, they would, they would carve it down to where it was almost like a, like a, like a, a club. 
like a baseball bat, wide at the bottom, narrow at the handle. And they would live with this rod, beating off enemies, beating off predators uh, with it, protecting their sheep. God was right with them, ready to defeat their enemies. But their enemies, they viewed as larger than their God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, our God cannot be defeated. That's right. In fact, our God has already defeated our enemies. The greatest enemies of sin, of death, of evil in this world, our Christ, our God has overcome them. Not with the rod of a shepherd, not with the tree of that rod, but with the tree of the cross. He's overcome. So whenever we think about our valley, the shadow of death, tell me, what can be ultimately taken away from you? Nothing. Nothing can be taken away from you because you are safe and secure in your Savior's hands. You might lose your job. You might lose your security. You might lose your life. You might lose your family's life. But are they taken away from you? No. Not at all. They're safe and secure with our Father. And that's our hope as Christians that even the pains that we have in this life, the losses that we have in this life, are ultimately not losses. Because when our Christ comes back in victory and He sets this world right in justice, every pain that we've taken, He sets right and makes it whole. And C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller says that somehow, we don't know how this works, but somehow we are more joyful having lost something and gotten it back than had we never lost it at all. Isn't that beautiful? It's it's the parables in Luke. A lady loses a coin, and she's torn up by losing her coin. And what does she do? She tears apart her house, and she finds the coin. She's filled with joy, and she throws a party with her neighbors. They would have never had the party had she not lost the coin. Okay? So whatever valley you're going through, man, put your trust in God who is protecting you and who is providing for you. And you know what this does for us? This, when we don't have to fear loss, this allows us and frees us to be generous. Generous with our time, generous with our money, generous with our gifts, generous with, with, with forgiveness of other people who've wronged us. Because we don't have to fear loss, we can be generous. So the question is, man, are, are you resting and are you at peace in God's protection? One of the ways you can find out is you can ask the question, am I generous? Am I generous because I don't have to fear the loss of this life? So our God provides for us. Our God protects us. And man, this one, this one, this is good news. This is all good news. This one's good. Not only does our God protect us and provide for us, but our God adopts us. The good shepherd adopting his sheep, bringing it into his household, making it a son and a daughter. Whenever we imagine Israel, slaves in Egypt, free by God, brought out into the wilderness, being brought into the promised land, why did God, why did God do that? Of, of, of all the peoples, of all the families in the world, why did God choose Abraham and his family? It wasn't because they were more holy. It wasn't because they were more just. You read about the Old Testament fathers. They had some baggage. God just chose them. He said, you are my special people. 
And the reason he freed them from Egypt and the reason he brought them into the promised land is because he was wanting a, a, a people of his own. He was wanting a family to be his own, to be light to the world. And he made them sons and daughters. He adopted them. And the truth is, is that whenever we call upon the name of Christ as our Savior and our Lord, what happens is the Spirit puts a seal on us. And he basically says, you are now a son and daughter of God. We're his. And so we look at it in, in verse 5 and six, 6. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And whenever we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, whenever Israel came into the promised land, there's this, there's this conversation God had. And he said, you know what? You are living in houses you did not build. You are harvesting grapes from vineyards you did not plant. You are drinking water from, from wells you did not dig. He said, I've been generous with you. I have set a table before you in this land in the presence of your enemies. And with me as your protector and provider, man, your cup is going to overflow. That's, that's a position where we are in right now. Though we don't deserve it, that we haven't earned it, our God has given us salvation we have not earned. He has given us a righteousness that is not our own. And our cup is overflowing as being his sons and daughters. We have to realize, why do we trust our good shepherd? Why do we trust Yahweh and Christ to protect us and to provide for us it's because he has made us his own. He has given up everything for us. We read in the John chapter 10, the, the verse that Chris read earlier. He said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. You know what else is also in that chapter? I have come to give you life and that you might have life more abundantly. Our cup should overflow with joy. We ought to obey, not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of we ought to, but we ought to obey our God out of a love for what he has given us. When our shepherd calls out and says, come to me, man, you know why we follow him? Because he is the one that is protecting us. He is the one that's providing for us. He is the one that has filled our cup to overflowing. The church of God, Rejoice. And your shepherd. Rejoice in the one who has given all for you. Rejoice in the one who has protected you and who has provided for you and who has made you his own. Find rest for him. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) what can we say to express our thanks? What can we say to express our love? Lord, words escape us because (laughs) we just don't have them. You have been generous with us. You have protected us. You have provided for us. And Lord, we rejoice in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.